Hi, welcome back to another commentary. I'm Logocentric, and today we are going to be talking about something that's a little bit close to me personally, but something that I've been very interested in for the past 10 years when it comes to the political climate of the culture wars. Um, and that is sexual orientation, gender identity, gender spectrum, and all these sorts of terms that you may have heard over the past 10 years. So let's break these down. So there's been a lot of buzz about these topics, so I'm not going to go and break down every single term that I talk about here today. I'm more just going to get to what I feel may be a curative way at looking at this entire conversation. So let's jump right into it. Biology. From a biological perspective, there are distinct differences between men and women, whether it's bone density, shoulder width, hip width, um, overall sexual reproductive organs, there are biologically determined differences between men and women, even down to the chromosomal level. That is not to say that within the two genders, there cannot be a variety of expression of identity or sexual orientation. For instance, you can have a man who exudes typical feminine characteristics, and you can have a female who exudes typical male characteristics. Now, that expression is not to say within a fact that just because they express their identity a certain way that they have to fall within a certain sexual orientation. That's sort of why people get bullied growing up for you know liking things that are not of the traditional status quo for their gender. For instance, if you're a man and you're into more artsy type things, you are kind of made fun of by your more masculine peers. Now, I do think to an extent that there's an evolutionary basis for that, because if you go back to hunter-gatherer societies, you could see an instance where being feminine in an instance where you needed to be very brutish and masculine to get the hunt for your family was sort of looked down upon, and it was culturally enforced not to behave that way. But we've come a long way from those times, and now we're not in a particular environment where that type of behavior is necessary. In fact, what we should do is cultivate people who do not share the same sort of status quo gender roles that we've seen and sort of help bring out things that they're really interested in. Now, I want to stress something. To state that something is evolutionarily instantiated is not to say that it is intrinsically good. You know, quite the opposite. Sometimes we can have evolutionary processes that we could view morally contemptuous as a culture and as a society. So I want to reiterate my point here. My point is that I believe that there are, in fact, two genders with some slight variation when it comes to people like intersex. We'll talk about those people a little bit later. But I do feel that within those two genders, those two genders can express themselves through a variety of different identities. You can have females that are very feminine and females that are very masculine with a whole spectrum in between. And that spectrum applies to heterosexual as well as homosexual females. And I think you can have a spectrum of men who are very masculine and a spectrum of men who are very feminine, whole spectrum in between that applies to both heterosexual and homosexual males. So that's why I make the claim that I believe orientation and expression are separate because you can find examples across all of the different sexual orientations where their expression varies. So I think you could sort of separate the two. And I think that might also help our cultural relationship with people who don't sort of fall in line with the average. And I do think that there is an average that people tend to follow, but that doesn't mean that that average applies to everybody, right? It's just sort of what most people tend to do. Now, whether they tend to do that through biological forces and cultural forces can vary depending on the subject. But we do need to have a proper view of the way that a human can express their own identity within their given biology. 
Now, everything I'm saying here is sort of at odds with what you consider your modern day LGBTQ activists, sort of. I'm rejecting the postmodern intersectional feminist view of gender spectrum, gender identity, because their perspective is that there's no such thing as sex, that everything is performative. This is a case that is brought by Judith Butler, which I happen to disagree with completely. Um, I find her research method absolutely, I mean, laughable, frankly. Um, but anyway, the presupposition that your gender is determined by your gender roles is just factually inaccurate. But I do think that there is room in our perspective to say that gender roles can vary within the two genders. Now, I think that would help cure our societal perspective of anyone who exudes behavior that would be atypical of their gender roles. So when you see a man being more on the feminine side, that does not instantly mean that that person is a homosexual, which is sort of the common insults that's hurled at men that don't exude typical masculine-like personality traits. However, what we could do to sort of cure that is view it not as that they're weaker in any sense, but they just serve a different societal purpose. And we should help innovate that, whether it's men or women exuding whatever type of behavior, whatever type of gender roles they happen to be expressing. But we're not going to deny the fact that they are women, that they are men. That is where I completely jump off the train. I think we can still not really have our cake and eat it too, but we can sort of make a, a compromise in our perspective where we can view the expression of identity as something that is a spectrum and legitimate, but we don't have to give up biological sex and gender in the process to achieve this perspective. I think you can do it with a biological framework on top. If anything, if y'all are interested in like sort of psychological frames that may map onto this theory very well, you may think of the anima and the animus from Carl Jung. You know, essentially what that theory proposes is that every man has a primary masculine personality that he needs to master and a secondary feminine personality that he needs to integrate once he's mastered his primary. And the inverse would be true for females. There would be a female primary uh, personality that they would need to master and then they would ma integrate their secondary masculine side after they had mastered their feminine. And sort of the way that I understand Carl Jung's idea is that you need to master your primary personality before you can integrate the secondary one. Because if you don't, the secondary one will sort of unconsciously rule the primary personality. So you can't just not master your primary and then master the secondary. You have to master the primary personality and then integrate the secondary personality. Because once you master your primary personality, you'll have developed enough sophistication to integrate the secondary one as opposed to trying to master both at the same time and ending up just being a slave to the unconscious secondary personality aspect. And again, to reiterate, I'm not a doctor or professor. I'm just an enthusiast and a hobby reader when it comes down to these sort of concepts. So I want to end this video on the more political side of this conversation. So in my opinion, these ideas that have been pathologized around gender come from just some fundamental misunderstandings. I think one, somewhere along the lines, gender and gender roles got sort of conflated. And I kind of put this at the feet of people like Judith Butler because they went on with this idea that gender was performative and it sort of allowed the manipulation of language in a way to make things seem like they were new and nuanced, but really they were just wrong and pathological. So. So where do these ideas come from? Well, if you trace the philosophical roots of people like this down to their you know, most 
common influences. You would find three people. Jean-Jacques Rousseau, Karl Marx, and Friedrich Nietzsche. Now, the first two are very almost you could you could throw them in today's society and they would sound just like your everyday hardcore leftist progressive postmodernist. They would pretty much exude the same kind of language. Now, Friedrich Nietzsche while that may be the case for him in some instances, would probably, in my opinion, from what I've read on Nietzsche, would reject a lot of what is going on right now because he hated this whole slave morality thing. And so he would probably reject the whole victimhood slave morality thing. So um, anyway, but there are some things from Nietzsche that you're like, oh, that's a very postmodern idea. And one of those being attacking objective truth and stating that there is no objective truth. There is only power. All right, and the will to power. So you have the mixing of the ideas of there's nothing but power, and then you have the economic perspective of the rich are just taking you know, advantage of the poor and we need to overthrow them. And then you have this other collectivist view that it's civilization that's crooked to begin with and men and human are good. It's just the civilization that corrupts us. If we could just fix the civilization, we could live in paradise. So those three ideas form a utopian sort of brew that just attacks the individual and has just left our cultural battle, our political conversation, everything has just been amuck since the implementation of these postmodern ideas. So my suggestion, my recommendation would be that we take this more basic, factually instantiated view on biology and culture, and we could actually come to a pretty common perspective when it comes to things like sexual orientation, identity expression, and things of the like. So my perspective is simply, we view biology as we've learned it to be factually instantiated for the last hundred years. However, we become more flexible in how we view the expression of identity under those two bifurcated genders, right? So we still have two genders, but under each gender, you can have a variety, a spectrum, of identity that is, that is expressed. And that expression of identity does not, in fact, determine your sexual orientation. That is independent, okay? So that is my idea, and I think that it would actually be a really nice kind of centrist way to look at it because you're implementing a little bit of both from each side, you know, and I think that's a great place to start is, you know, to try to make a little bit of a compromise to see if we can take some of your ideas and some of your ideas and if we can make something coherent out of the both of them, that is still something that is factually correct and that we can observe and that is repeatable. So I think my idea meets that criteria. If you don't think it does, drop a comment. Let's start a dialogue in the comment section. I'd love to keep refining my ideas and pushing them further and further because that is the actual goal of this show is I want to put out some perspectives that I think are actually kind of controversial and sort of take ideas that have sort of been out there in the IDW, you know, in the sort of intellectual dark web. And because I think those people have had the ideas that have been on the cutting edge, the forefront of what's really going on in our modern day society. And I wanted to take those ideas and see if I could refine, improve, you know, just push these ideas further so that we can get closer and closer to what the truth is. So if you enjoyed this content and you would like to see more of that, please hit the like button and the subscribe button and hit the notification bell to be notified next time we throw out another commentary, debate, or discussion. This has been Logocentric. Thank you for watching.